Hello. How's everybody doing? Great. All right. Well, I'm trying to get organized here. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go over some announcements. Welcome to New Life Community Church. If uh, if you're brand new here, welcome. Uh, hope you have a good time, and I hope that uh, that you meet God while you're here. Right on. Okay. Uh, let's see what we got here for announcements. Um, after church today is our first Sunday. We usually have lunch out there in the in the living room. So if you would stay around. Uh, I know a lot of people brought some Mexican food. That's the theme for today. So uh, stick around and enjoy some Mexican food. Um, after we're done eating, uh, I'm just going to take five, ten minutes and kind of go over some stuff with you real quick. So please, it's not just for leadership. It's for our church and for everybody to uh, to just fellowship after church. So easy enough. Stick around for that. Um, the only thing really that that you're not seeing every week on the back of your uh, listening guide here is a week from Tuesday, so two days, nine days away. Um, we are going to Six Flags as a youth group, Impact Student Ministries is going to Six Flags. So I put that on there so parents, you know, uh, that's what we have planned. It's spring break for everybody around here, so we're going to go to Six Flags and have a little fun. We tend to go a lot. Uh, it's it's an easy activity, and a lot of us buy student. I mean, buy uh, season passes. So, if you're planning on going, and uh, you plan on going with us this summer, we uh, go to Hurricane Harbor in the summer usually a few times, and Six Flags throughout the year. Season passes work out really well. So, uh, that's a good investment. <laughs> it's a hundred dollars, I think, for for the season pass for both parks. So, uh, something good to do. Other than that, that is the announcements. Everybody has uh, a sheet of paper on their table, and it has a uh, a poll question. It's not really a poll question, but it's got a question at the top. If uh, if y'all would go over that real quick. If you don't know what's going on, I know this is kind of different. We've been doing this past two weeks. This is the last week that we're doing it. Kind of a small group feeling. So uh, go over that poll question with, with your table, and and then we'll be right back. Okay, okay, okay. What is the consensus? Who would rather be rich and have no friends? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I could do a lot of stuff for, with, a, with a lot of money. Right on, Ricky. You know what it's all about. So I, I assume that the rest of you would rather be poor and have lots of friends. <laughs> Already poor and lots of friends. Doesn't mean that you couldn't change. So it's, that's good. That's good. Alrighty. Okay, here's what we need you to do. Uh, this is the inevitable moment that y'all have been waiting for. If you've been here for the past few weeks, you know what's going to happen next. I'm going to count to three. And when I get done with, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Jeff, let's, let's try to combine some tables here. Not have one one family at a, at a table. Somebody can help out with that. Okay, on the count of three, you're going to pick a table leader. Okay, all you have to do is point at who you think should be the table leader, and so you have that forewarning. Are you ready? One, two, three, point. No. 
Nice. Congratulations, table leaders. You are now the leader. Uh, you will be uh, leading the table with the questions and stuff that we have going on today. Okay, everybody look up here. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we started the series, Prodigal Perspectives. There we go. That's good. Two weeks ago, we started the series, Prodigal Perspectives, and uh, it's, a, it's a series on the parable the prodigal son. And the first week we talked about the younger son in that parable. The second week, last week, we talked about the elder son. And tonight, today, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about from the father's perspective of the same parable. Oftentimes we do, uh, we do the same things. And, uh, we generally don't give ourselves mercy. We're hard on ourselves. Uh, we do that or, uh, we have a hard time giving mercy to other people. Um, sometimes we don't allow ourselves mercy. You get the picture. God, however, is a God of mercy. He's deeply concerned about our spiritual state and uh, of his children. And he's grieved when we reject him and we decide to follow what looks right in our own eyes. So let's watch this video. Welcome to the final session of Prodigal Perspectives. We've been exploring the themes of jealousy, of selfishness, and forgiveness for the prodigal son story in the Bible. Now, last time we saw the perspective of the bitter elder son, he could not see or appreciate all that his father had given him because of his pride and his arrogance. In this session, we're going to see the story through the eyes of the father, and we'll see God's total love for each of us. And my brother, Chris C., will teach us about the forgiveness and the love of Christ that we are privileged to show to those around us. This week in Luke 15, we're placing ourselves in the center of the story and trying to see how we are like the father. As you've already seen, we're often like the younger brother. We're often like the older brother. But we pray that more and more we are being transformed to become like the father. Our friend Jason Hildebrand has put together a monologue for us to share and to meditate on to help us understand better the the role of the father, the character of the father, and to place ourselves in the story as the father. So as you watch, will you um, will you prayerfully meditate through the story and try to find the places uh, that God is transforming your character to become more and more like the father? Heed me well. Know my journey. And never forget, I am the Father. Peaceful I am, and most blessed of God. Being the father of children is a task not made easy. It's a road of much joy and sorrow. My eyes are dimmed from reading the holy book and my knees. They're worn from constant prayers of intercession. What's my job, you may ask me? How are you employed? My job is love. Yes, 
It's true, I own many fields and vineyards. But my principal task and joy in life is the love of my children. My two sons, whom I love equally. It's my responsibility to teach them how to become like the Father. But that's what we all must become in time if we are to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. <sighs> my two sons, like night and day, yet each has in turn left my bosom. My younger son, left to experience the world. Satan tempted him with new life. Not pure and holy as from above, but dark, sensuous as from below. Experiences meant to excite and to addict, not to free. I find it fascinating how lust and greed are often more enticing than pure unending love. I cannot blame the world for my son's fall. It's not their fault. Most of them have never known the love of a father. They're lost, blind, without hope, lost in a world that offers everything but love. And it's love that truly feeds the soul. My older son, well, he stayed within my sight, but he lives in his own world. Full of anger and bitterness. I find it interesting how the pious world would condemn my younger son, but would not see the lostness of his older brother. But I believe, in fact, that the older one is more lost than the younger one ever was. Everything lies before him like a banquet. My experience, my wealth, my love. But he'd have none of it. He looks on me as though I were the enemy. I am glad to say that my younger son has returned into my caring. Oh, the joy I felt at his return. You see, he gave up his sonship for the lure of the world, for self-greed and the desires of the flesh. And when he left, he took with him all that I could give him and more he never knew that but I gave him more I give good gifts to those I love but with the tears in my eyes pain in my heart I let him go to the wolves of the world I could not stop him nor would I it's not my job to control it's my job to love and so I let him go and through my anger through my tears I did for him the only thing I could do I prayed and it was enough I will never never forget the moment of his returning there I was, out in the field, working away. Always one eye on my working, always one eye on the road. Watching, waiting for my child to come home. 
And then all of a sudden, he was just there. In the distance, my jaw had dropped open. I let go of what I was doing. And I just began to run to my child, arms wide open, his old legs pumping away. And when I got to him, I fell at his feet with tears of joy. Such repentance in his eyes. He tried to tell me of his journey. Didn't matter to me. All that mattered was that my child was home, safe within my caring. Do you know that my children always have a place at my table? Always. Oh, that my older son would have the younger's repentant spirit. My older son, ever so proud on the outside, ever so broken on the inside. Ever trying to please me with his working, 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 but ever so calloused in his heart. You know, I can't even wrap my arms around him in front of the workers. They call him the Iron Fist, and rightfully so, because you know he can be scary. So I do for him that which I did for his brother, that which I do for all of my children. Pray. The sovereign God has delivered one child back into my arms. Oh, that He deliver the others. Keep me well. Know my journey, and never forget. I am the Father. Over the last few weeks. It's been challenging to see how much we're like the younger brother, basically saying to God, "I want what you can give me, but I don't really want a relationship with you." For most of us, it was even harder to see how much we identify with the older brother. That we quite easily end up looking down our nose. Our propensity to try to do the right thing has actually become our weakness. We're so proud of the fact that we're doing the right thing. That we become arrogant and prideful and often religious. But the good news is that there are so many places in our lives where we are living like the father. And the beauty of this story is that the father, at every corner, is all loving and all forgiving. He's always embodying love and pursuing both sons, chasing one out into the road and leaving the party to pursue the other. He's willing to meet them in their place of brokenness. And as God has met us there, He's also making us more like Him. And so the challenge for us this week is to look at our own lives and figure out what does it look like to engage in this prophetic act of love. Part of what I've realized in the world is that、um, love and forgiveness have the power to truly change the world. Forgiveness、uh, may be the most divine thing we have the opportunity to participate in. That when we forgive, and when I talk about forgiveness, I'm not talking about forgiving those that we think deserve it. I, I believe that for most of us, probably all of us. 
There are people that have sinned against us, people that you're angry with right now, um, that haven't asked for your forgiveness. In fact, I'm quite sure that they've harmed you in in some very real ways. And they may not technically deserve your forgiveness. We didn't deserve the forgiveness of the father, the younger son, nor the older son deserved the father's forgiveness, but he gave it anyway. My prayer is that you will become more like the father. You're going to forgive some folks, and in forgiving them, you're going to radically change their life. You're going to reach out, and you're going to love those. Some of them are going to be strangers. Some are going to be people that you live with, that you work with, that you go to class with. And in loving them, you will radically reorient their lives. You'll tell the story of the kind of Christianity that all of us can get excited about. The kind that sees God not as an angry God, but as a loving God who loves and forgives even when we don't deserve it. I pray that on this journey that all of us will live, love, and forgive like the Father. As Chris said, when we forgive, it may be the most divine thing we participate in. And it can be a challenge. Let's hear from Major League Baseball All-Star Josh Hamilton and his wife, Katie, as they both talk about the power of forgiveness. Katie didn't know me uh, as the baseball player. She knew I would played and uh, knew I got drafted, but um, she never followed me at all as far as baseball goes. So we started dating, and we dated for about four months, and then we broke up. He had started down a path that I didn't really want to be involved in. I was young and had the money. You know, I went for the world of things. I went, you know, and started hanging out at tattoo parlors. I just remember um, having my first drink, line of cocaine, and going to a strip club all in one night. You know, at first I wasn't uh, addicted to it. You know, I liked it because it was the closest thing to give me that rush to being on a field playing. During the year and a half that we were apart, um, I had heard different things about him, that he had gone to rehab, and he told me that he was doing well. He'd gotten out of rehab and was fine. You know, he had struggled and had been struggling, but he was doing really good. We dated for about four months, and we were married. We got married in November. She got pregnant in December. January, I relapsed. Uh, So she um, was devastated, of course. When I had our daughter, Sierra, he really got it together and was at the hospital with me. He was wonderful in the hospital. But the day we brought her home, he was supposed to go to Walgreens and get some prescriptions for me. And ended up at a bar. I couldn't control my use, my drug use. I loved them dearly, but I didn't care about you know how they felt and uh, if they needed me. All I cared about was getting more drugs. It got to the point where it was so bad that I went to my um, nightstand and my wedding ring was not there. And of course my heart just broke in two because I just realized, okay, well if he's willing to take my wedding ring to get drugs, then obviously these drugs are really important to him. You know, this addiction is it's big, it's real, it's serious. You know, my hope had to be in Christ because it certainly, my faith certainly could not have been in my husband because he was just continuously failing. She was definitely the spiritual leader of the household at that time. Through all this, she's, you know, getting closer to the Lord and, and praying and really leaning on our pastor and his wife for counsel. So I called my pastor and his wife and I told him how I was feeling. I said, you know, can I come over and talk? And they said, sure. So I came over and I'm like, listen to what my husband's done. He's done this and this and this and this. I said, and you know, my, my heart's desire is to please the Lord and I really want our marriage to work, but I'm mad at him. And my pastor said, well, I know what, you know, I know what we need to do. I was like, what? You know, I thought he had some great plan to, you know, bring him to justice. <laughs> he said, well, you need to forgive him. I said, Jimmy, I'm, what? No, I'm not going to forgive him. Did you hear all the things that he's done? 
He said, yes, I did. I heard them all. He said, and you're sitting at home and you're playing the rewind button over and over in your mind, replaying all the things that Josh has done to hurt you. He said, and your bitterness is hurting you. She called me and told me she you know, forgave me for everything um, that I've done. You know, it's the amazing thing, you know, about, you know, true forgiveness and, you know, that only God can give. Is she hadn't brought it up one time since uh, she told me that. And I recommitted my life to Christ. And I just said, you know, Lord, this is, you know, I can't do this on my own. I said, I need you. My way's not working. I'm tired of, you know, trying to figure it out. I said, you know, I'm giving it to you. I think the biggest thing for us getting back together was the trust issue. You know, are you really going to the grocery store? Are you really going to the gas station? You know, how do I know that you're really going to be where you say you're going to be? I'm just so thankful that God is who he says he is and that he's faithful. And, you know, he can do he can do anything he says he can do and he can perform miracles. And the fact that I've witnessed a miracle in my husband's life and in our marriage just strengthens my faith and my belief in him that much more. As you go through your Bible study, I hope you'll realize how much you're loved. You know, sometimes we act like the rebellious younger son. And sometimes we're more like the arrogant elder son. But regardless of our actions, God is always our loving Father, who thankfully He sent His own Son into the pig pen of earth to provide a way back to Him. Thanks for watching. Oh, okay, table leaders, here's where you come in. Answer the... Go with your group, discuss the first five questions that's on your sheet there. Okay. Here's the deal. If we have accepted uh, God's gift of grace in our lives, then uh, through his son, Jesus we are his sons and daughters, right? That we've been adopted into his family and we have full access and privilege to the kingdom of God. That's in the Bible. Matter of fact, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter five, he talks about us inheriting the kingdom of God. So whatever, uh, whatever we inherit, I mean, whatever uh, is rightfully ours through that kinship, that's ours. All of the kingdom of God. That is a lot. We are his sons and daughters. In the parable, both the elder and the younger son needed to realize who the father was in their lives. The only son who actually chose to join the feast was the less likely of the two. It was the younger son who acknowledged that he had sinned. And in return, the father made himself vulnerable in every kind of way and accepted the younger son back into the family. The elder son was always accepted, and he lived under the, the roof of his father's home. In the same way, Christ accepted us while we were enemies. He humbled himself all the way to the death on a cross and became nothing so that we could gain everything, abundant and eternal life. One day we'll be invited to the ultimate feast, and we can enjoy uh, the father's inheritance in, the, in its fullest. Let's see what we can learn from the, from the Father in this parable. Let's break it down. Let's go into the Bible and, and check this out. There's a reason why the Father doesn't go out and physically search for his son. There's a reason why he divides up his estate and lets the younger son go off. And that is, and it's on your listening guide, love is not forceful, 
and controlling. The father lets the younger son choose what his heart desires, but he also kept one eye on his work and the other eye on the road waiting for his son to return. God the Father will let you choose what your heart desires, but he's going to be waiting for you at the end of the road. He's going to be sitting there waiting for you with one eye on his work and one eye on waiting for you to come back. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 20, and let's actually go into this parable. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. We read that last week. What can we learn from the father? The father's reaction to his son is filled with compassion. When the father saw his son on the road, he dropped what he was doing. And he didn't just like wait for his son to come towards him. The Bible says that he ran to him. That's an amazing picture. That's an amazing picture. If we, if we take the father in this story and father God at the same time, and you think about God just running to you, and he embraces him, and he, and he kisses him, and he doesn't just leave it at that. He actually gives him the best robe to wear. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. He gives him more than he had before he left. That's grace. That is grace. We learned in week one that, the pro- that prodigal means recklessly or wastefully extravagant. And now that we're looking at the father, I would say that he's just as wild just as excessive, just as extravagant with his grace towards his son as his son is prodigal in his own sin. Number three on your listening guide, the father is prodigal in his grace. Again, wastefully and recklessly extravagant. I was just telling somebody this week uh, that I don't understand how God can continue to forgive me. If it were me, uh, I would have given up on me a long time ago. I, I continue to screw up. I continue to mess up. And I don't understand how God can sit there and, and forgive me time and time and time and again. But he does for all of us. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, table leaders, go through your next set of questions, 6 through 10. There's uh, some verses for you to read as well. Six through nine, I'm sorry, my bad. Everybody, is everybody just about done? Okay. Let's, uh, time-wise, we need to get going. Let's, uh, let's read this, this verse in Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples 
a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Verse 8 of what we just read tells us that one day Christ is going to bring us to our permanent home and give us the ultimate feast. He's going to swallow death forever. He's going to wipe away all of our tears. And he's going to remove all of the disgrace from his people. And just like the father and the prodigal son parable, God the Father is inviting us back home to taste of his grace, to celebrate, and to allow our slates to be clean. Really, we can look at the story and we can liken it to the story of salvation and redemption. Jesus left his home, right? And he wandered without a home. He was crucified outside of the gates of Jerusalem. On the cross, he experienced an exile that all of us deserve. And then he was cast out so that we could be brought in. Jesus, the ultimate son, was dead, and then he was made alive again. He gives us every reason to welcome, to celebrate, and to feast with other repentant sinners. From exile to homecoming, our communion has been restored because of the Father's great sacrifice on our behalf. This week, I have a challenge for you. Uh, I would like for you to think, when you leave here today, I would like for you to think about, to meditate on whatever... God's grace and how he's shown you grace. And then I want you to turn around and I want you to share that grace with somebody else. Some of us are, are scared, you know, to, to really go in and talk to, to people about, about Jesus. And this is, this is an easy thing to do. You know, if, when somebody screws up, somebody messes up, it's easy for us to step in and just put a hand on their back and say, hey, you know what? God will forgive you. It's going to be better. All you have to do is turn back to him. It's easy kind of to, to just do that sort of thing than, than going in and, and, you know, giving somebody a salvation message, you know, and trying to convert them or something. But it's easy to show them grace. And you can show them grace, not even... Uh, necessarily by, you know, pointing out God even, but somebody's done you wrong, show them grace. Easy enough? We need to show more grace in our life. That's it. So if you go through this week thinking about God's grace, maybe you can make it uh, showing grace to other people in your work, in your private life, what, however.